Calcium, nitrogen, carbon, erbium makes cancer. It makes cancer. Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. On today's episode, we are going to be reviewing the opening statement of the gospel truth debate between Will Duffy and C.J. Bournes. Is open theism biblical? And just to make things interesting, we're, we're going to be reviewing C.J.'s opening statement. And this is a statement not in response to Will Duffy. These are his opening arguments. And just to make this interesting, uh, this guy's a Matt Slick, a little flunky. And uh, Matt Slick argues almost entirely in emotion. So every time CJ makes an emotional argument, we will be taking a shot. So I got a little shot glass here. I got what looks like uh, Kentucky bourbon. Very cheap bourbon. Uh, probably not the best bourbon, but I don't know. That'll work for our purposes today. And so get ready for a whirlwind. Uh, let's see what happens. All right, CJ, take it away. All we had to do was follow the train, CJ. A 10-minute opening statement. All right. Well, thanks, Will, for allowing me to join you in this debate. Um, it's exciting. It's my first debate, uh, and I want to thank the good Lord for me even being here today. Um, so, as has been stated already, tonight's, tonight's debate is on the question of whether open theism is biblical. There are different varieties of open theism, but the most common belief that they share, as Will demonstrated, um, is that the future is open and that God does not know the future. Mr. Duffy's open theism not only affirms this, as he stated, however, he's also previously said in debates that God can sin. He states this because he believes God learns as he goes along and changes based off of what he witnesses in his creation and in time and space. So what's going on here? He's trying to do the Matt Slick thing of poisoning the well, where it's like, oh, you believe this over here? Oh, isn't that terrible? It's, it's, it is a type of moralistic fallacy. So what does it matter? Uh, how is it, uh, you know, biblical or not biblical? If God can sin, does the Bible talk to this issue? Or are you just emoting? Is this something that just plays to your emotions? So you, you felt like you had to throw that out there in the debate on whether or not, open theism is biblical. And of course, this guy doesn't know it, as we learn later in this debate, but there are plenty of open theists who think God cannot sin. So this is an emotional play. So I think we got our first shot. Um, bottoms up. Ugh. All right, uh, let's, let's keep going. Not only do I find zero basis for this in the scripture, however, I find that his entire claim takes away all authority from Scripture, and leaves him with nothing to stand on. Moralistic fallacy. All right, so it doesn't matter whether or not uh, it takes authority away from Scripture. What, what, do, what does the Bible actually say? This is what the debate's about. Is open theism biblical? And so, moralistic fallacy, we got our second shot. This is, this is not going to be good. This is going to turn out very poorly in the end. You see, if God is ever-changing and ever-learning, even his own words are not set in stone. If God has the... Moralistic argument again? Oh, man. <laughs> A terrible... Okay. Capability uh, to sin. Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know how long we can... I, this, this might be the shortest, shortest episode ever. I might have to bail out here pretty quickly. Then we cannot trust him absolutely. His oh man! Oh okay. Oh, again. Oh, if if we can't trust his word, we can't trust him absolutely. Moralistic fallacy has nothing to do with what the biblical text says and doesn't say. This is a debate about whether open theism is biblical. Moralistic fallacy. Oh man. Um. All right. Bottoms up. Ah, this is a bad idea. Higher revelation of scripture could Ooh. be a lie, or he could have Ooh. learned something that renders every previous action and promise void. I think I think that This means that Mr. Duffy has absolutely that that piggy tails off of uh, his previous statement. So that counts as one. So I'm not taking a separate shot for that statement. There's no standard upon which he can not only make claims about God, but can make claims to know anything. All right, another moralistic fallacy. 
All right, again, nothing to do with what the Bible actually says, the text of the Bible, what the authors of the Bible mean. It's all his emotions, if argument from consequence, if open theism is right, then this. You know, at whether or not those actually follow, that's a different question altogether. But again, it's the moralistic fallacy. It's not an argument. It is a fallacy of logic. Bottoms up. Um, in the absolute sense. This leaves him in a similar predicament as an agnostic, because everything he claims is then based off of subjective perceptions that have no grounding in any absolute knowledge, absolute truth. Okay, again, uh, nothing to do with what the Bible says or doesn't say, argument from consequence. Eh, not going to be a good morning. I don't know. Maybe it'll be a good morning. I don't think it's going to affect me too bad. But, all right, bottoms up. This cannot oh. exist under the open theistic worldview. I, I, however, come to you tonight declaring a God who knows Ooh. all things and does not change. A God who has made definite promises that have come to pass and promises that will come to pass. A all-powerful God that is above all and upholds everything by the word of his power. A God that cannot sin because he is holy, most beautifully described in Isaiah where it says, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So these are claims, they're not arguments, so I'm not drinking for them. So keep going, guys. Sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. So is that an argument? That it's, it's, that's not an argument. And in fact, he describes a scene in which God is temporal, God, God has location, you know, and uh, that's, that's, not, that's not Calvinism, that's not traditional theism, what you just described there. And so when I first listened to this, I was a little confused. I'm like, uh, I thought he was supposed to be arguing against open theism and for all the Greek attributes. And then he's quoting these texts in which none of those things are present. Huh. Hmm. Hmm. The God of the Bible <clears throat> is so holy and so above everything else and should not be likened to fallible creation. <laughs> He's just quoting a divine counsel scene and then he makes this claim. All right. All right. I got a, I got a cat in the background here so you guys can watch a cat walk across the screen. Fantastic. But my fear is that that's what open theism does. His sacred word declares throughout all of scripture his holy nature. Open theists, like Matt even alluded to tonight, uh, like to claim that the classic position of Christian theism comes from Greek philosophy. But yeah. the irony is that open theist view of God is much more like the Greek god of Zeus. Kind of. <laughs> is that where it's derived from? Or is it derived from ancient Semitic religion? Are, are you a scholar of Semitic religion, Mr. CJ? Uh, do you know anything about what the, the Semites believed? The, their various pantheons, their various conceptions of omniscience in other Semitic religions? Do you, are, you, are you here to tell us about that? Because, because, uh, strange fact, strange fact, in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, Paul talks about these other gods. These other gods are real. These other people in the same time of ancient Israel are worshiping real foreign deities. Uh, you know, you could call them demons. You could call them gods or something like that. Uh, Psalms 82 is the ascension psalm where God reclaims, reclaims authority from all these false gods that are scattered above and around the world who have dominion over certain areas. And so this, this pantheon depiction is not only accurate in uh, normal Semitic religion, but that that plays into Israelite religion. So if, if you are trying to claim that the ancient Israelites held a religious conviction that was so dissimilar to the, the Semites of that time, you're on shaky grounds. You're making a claim that it doesn't have historical... I don't wait, wait. Uh, I, I, I don't think that you can make that claim with a straight face. Of waiting up in the clouds and striking people down with lightning bolts 
as he learns new things. I'm not arguing from feeling or from Greek philosophy, but rather... <laughs> How many shots have we taken? How many shots have we taken? There's a lot of shots we've already... Maybe like five or six. I'm, I'm, I've lost count of how many shots we've taken. You are arguing with your feelings and emotions. You're an emotional wreck. I, I, I know it doesn't look like it. So there's, there's people who they suppress their emotions and then they get on camera and they talk about their emotions. And just because they don't they don't have any personality into into what they're saying that they think that they're not thinking with their emotions all you have given us tonight so far uh we're only i don't know how many minutes we are in because uh this is like far into the debate but all you have given us is emotions my friend continue sola and tota scriptura the sacred scripture <laughs> is more than clear <laughs> on what it reveals to us about the nature of God. That's so funny because uh, what about ancient uh, Old Testament scholars like John Day? Uh, would they even entertain your ideas about uh, what the Semites, uh, the ancient Israelites, what they believed about God? Would John Day, scholar of biblical Old Testament theology, would he say, oh yeah, they probably believed God was immutable and outside of time? And <laughs> no, yeah, your position is literally a laughing stock in the scholarly world. Uh, no one holds it because it's a ridiculous position to hold. The Bible, the Bible doesn't hold this position. You just quoted us. You quoted us a text of God sitting around in a divine council in a pantheon, uh, talking to angels and other divine beings. Uh, it seems like you know Job, Job one and two, Second uh, Kings twenty two. These divine council scenes are throughout the Bible. <laughs> They're just there, and it's, it's not classical theism. So I'm going to read through some verses here tonight. And there are so many verses that literally I would probably take an hour in my opening statement to cover them all. But I just want to go through some that totally go against so, open theism. So we got verses. I probably got to pull up a Bible here. Psalm 147, verse 5. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. So let's talk about the ancient world. So first of all, that infinite there, uh, that's the same verbiage used for the amount of grain that Joseph collects. So Joseph collects infinite grain. And so what people like this guy, these guys are Platonists. They want infinite attributes. So they go to this text and they say, oh, see this, this infinite, that means, that means Platonism. <laughs> that means my ideas about uh, what God's knowledge is. So, so his understanding is infinite, which apparently means God foreknows everything that ever happens from all eternity. That's what he gets from that text. That's what he's presenting here as an argument. Um, does does his verse prove that? So, in the ancient world, back to, back to attributes of deity, knowledge is different than understanding. Uh, knowledge is different than craftiness, the ability to use information in order to achieve objectives. And so ancient Semitic gods not only had to have omniscience, knowledge to act, but they had to have a capability to act on that knowledge. Because, you know, there, there are some figures in the ancient world who had knowledge, but not the power to change the future. Let's the Cassandra complex, uh, made famous in the Twelve Monkeys movie, where you know the future, but you're impotent to change it. You can't do anything with that knowledge. And so, not only do gods gods in the ancient Semitic world uh, in the Bible, Yahweh has knowledge, but he also has cunningness. He also has craftiness, the ability to use this information and craft the world using this information into tangible results that actually achieve what he wants to achieve. As as in Genesis, in the story of Joseph, God weaves. The, the, the word there is weaved. God weaved the evil that the brothers intended. He weaved that for good. God is crafty. God can do things. God has volition. And in this debate, it's very clear that this individual, CJ, does not believe God has volition. God cannot do things. God, God is eternally stuck in fate. Whatever God has predicted, God cannot make one additional raindrop for one uh, storm, one rainstorm that God has predestined from all eternity. God cannot add one single raindrop. God cannot exist unless CJ exists. This is this is made clear later in this debate. 
that God cannot exist unless CJ exists. God's existence is tied to CJ's existence. And, and this makes perfect sense in Calvinism because God's decree is for the greatest glory that reflects God's greatest attributes. And it's an eternal decree. And, and God is timeless according to CJ here. He's not necessarily timeless according to all Calvinists, but his decree is immutable and set. Therefore, everything that ever exists is eternally set and coexistent with God in Calvinism. But that's not here nor there. It's, that's not an argument for or against whether open theism is biblical. But just know where this guy is coming from. This is this guy's belief. It is laughable on the scholarly level. It's not, it's not worth taking seriously. And him and people like him and a vast majority of Christians treat it Treat Calvinism, treat uh, determinism, treat uh, not having free will, uh, God being eternally immutable, simple, knowing all future events. They treat it as the normative teaching of the Bible. Oh, it's 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 uh, it's a mass delusion. Is is what I'm going to say. It's a mass delusion. It's not in the Bible. It's a not. It's not Yahweh of the Bible. It's it's not the attributes presented of Him in the Bible. And here, your verse. God's craftiness, God does not have craftiness in your views. God does not have volition. God cannot do things. You fundamentally disagree with the proof text you're throwing out here. And so, as Will said tonight, that there's nowhere in the Bible that said God is outside of time or that he created time, but here it says that his understanding is infinite. <laughs> his understanding is infinite okay doing the math uh carry the one um that means he's outside of time oh i uh, i i'm not seeing where you're coming from there my friend cj i think i i think you're out in looney tune land at, at this one point not not everything just this one point god's understanding his craftiness ability to accomplish to weave do things is infinite, which you don't believe. You don't believe that. Uh, that means God's outside of time. Fantastic. I, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm listening to this debate, learning all these new things. Um, there are so many things that open theists don't realize that are logically deduced from a total understanding of Scripture. First <laughs> John three nineteen through twenty. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before Him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So my story with Matt Slick about this verse is he threw that out. I'm sitting in person with him. This is after the Will Duffy debate in Denver, the first night there. And I'm sitting with him after the whole debate. He's, he's a celebrity. People are gathered around him for most of the time. They, they filter off. I'm remaining. And so it's me, my sister, and my brother-in-law sit, sitting there talking to him. And he, he throws that out at me. He says, uh, uh, 1 John 3.20, God knows all things. I'm like, 1 John 2.20, man knows all things. And his eyes go wild because um, he's, he's got like autism, like like no joke. And so he can't be interrupted in his points ever. You, if you're ever debating Matt Slick, you can't say what you just said is false. Let's stop and talk about it. He has to continue on for like three or four minutes to finish out his entire sentence or else he like goes into an autistic fit. This is like, like not a joke. Uh, this is like super serious. This is what, what happens with Matt Slick. So um, at least when we're dealing with Matt Slick, we're dealing with people with mental issues. But his eyes go wide. He flips back one chapter, 1 John 2.20, man knows all things, and he goes crazy. So he runs over to his computer. He didn't have his laptop on him. And he starts typing on his computer. And he's pulling up these different Bible versions. And... Uh, you know, that he's like, it's not in this version. It's not in this version. And I, t I told him, it's, I said, it, it's, it's in the majority text. It's, it's, in, it's in the Byzantine text. He didn't know what I was talking about. He didn't know that uh, in the Byzantine text, the majority text, the Greek text of the Bible that was common in the Byzantine era among all of Europe, it uses the exact same phrase that it uses in 1 John 3.20 and 1 John 2.20. It's, it's, like, it's not like the Byzantines were like, all right, we think man is omniscient and man will know all things. It's not like that. 
it's just the phrase that he's taking as a proof text uh, that he's throwing out this this individual CJ he's using this in his debate as an opening proof text they, they use it as a proof text unapologetically when the exact same phrase used of man is used in the Bible by the same author in the same context. Uh, these, this, this is unexcusable uh, behavior. This is, this is intellectual dishonesty on a massive scale. These people, these people do not care. They do not care about the, what the biblical text says. They don't care about intellectual consistency. They are desperate for proof text. So desperate, in fact, that they're going to grab the same phrase, use of man, in the same context and claim it as their proof text that God has eternal, ungenerated knowledge of all things from all eternity. That's what this guy's doing, CJ. These are not intellectually honest people. He might be an ignorant person. Yes, that might be true. But do you think that any of the conversation, the interaction with Will Duffy tonight gave him a second pause? I, I, I don't think so. I think CJ is stuck in his bubble worldview. And I think he draws his identity from his beliefs. He's very proud of his beliefs and he identifies with it. And it would be a worldview shock in order to actually examine from a neutral perspective the things that he's claiming. Psalm 139 verse 4, even before a word is on my tongue, Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So notice this. So God, at some point in time, knows something that some individual is going to say before that individual says it. Therefore, in CJ's mind, CJ's mind, this is how CJ's mind works. He says, look at this verse. That means God has eternal, ungenerated knowledge of all things forever future in all regards from all eternity and uh, it's an eternal decree in fact because he's a Calvinist he thinks God eternally decreed it from this one verse that's his proof text that God knows one thing at some point in time before that thing happens he he is massively massively reaching this is desperation desperation and these are their opening opening proof text you could tell you could tell what kind of person you are discussing when their opening proof text do not support their initial claim not at all that god knows one thing before that thing happens to one person in one situation and he does this again and again i think he's going to do that again here uh pretty shortly with uh the crucifixion that god determines one thing therefore god determines everything this is his mindset this is this is how he does theology he goes from a specific example oh uh, jesus drank uh, uh uh some wine at one point that therefore jesus drinks all wine everywhere so all wine that's ever drink drank is drank by jesus he's the ultimate alcoholic because we got this one example of jesus drinking wine this is their mentality God knows everything we're going to say before we even say it, <laughs> thus the future. One person saying that God knows that one person's things before they say it means that God knows everyone's things that everyone's going to say uh, in the future from all eternity, by the way. So it's not like it's like 10 minutes before the thing is said, then God knows what that person's going to say. I, I think that's literally how they read this verse. They come to this verse that before a word is on my tongue, you know it altogether. And what they think is that means five million years before this was said, that the author is expressing that five million years ago, even further, infinite time ago, um, that's when God knew the words that you were going to say. That, that's what they're getting literally in their mind when they read this verse. That's what they're envisioning. So it's complete projection onto the verse. It has nothing to do with the actual text of the verse. In the text of the verse, this is David talking. David had a special relationship with God. So um, it's it's really a bad idea to take people who have special relationships with God and just assume you and me have that same relationship. You know, King David is a man after God's own heart. The Bible says King David is a man after God's own heart. Not every person is a man after God's own heart. And so in King David, in the in that chapter, he says, you have searched me and then you have known me. So he's he's talking about God acquiring information. God acquired information about David through searching him. 
And guess what? Guess what? This is not all things future because the whole chapter ends with God being invited by David to search David again to know future things in the future about David. He says, search me and try me. See if uh, there's any wicked ways in me. God is inviting or God is being invited by David to search David in order to know. God searches to know in his proof text the mechanism the mechanisms declared cj cj you are failing on a massive level these are your proof texts isaiah forty six ten, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done saying my purposes will be established and i will accomplish all my good pleasure yeah, he's going to accomplish the things he says he's going to accomplish. So when is this beginning? Who's he declaring it to? What is he declaring? Right? So in Amos, it says that God doesn't do stuff unless he declares it to his prophets that he's going to do it. And what is the purpose? And what's the purpose in Isaiah? What is this communicating to the audience? It's communicating basically that God's not going to act unless uh, he tells his prophets about his act. Therefore, he gets the credit after it happens. So he declares it from the beginning, then he does it, and then it happens. And then people know that God was the one, Yahweh was the one to do it. What this is setting up is it's not talking metaphysics. So, oh, God knows everything from all the past or whatever like that. No, it's actually, it's actually making an actual real argument to a people at the time who could practically use that argument to believe in God. They could look at the argument and say, oh yeah, so God did declare to us that we would go into exile and then the exile happened. And uh, so yeah, God was the one to do this exile. It wasn't like an after the fact type of thing. The declaration was to us and our declaration was before that thing happened. And so it's, this is, this is practical. What, what Calvinists do when they come to the Bible is they make everything impractical. They turn every single phrase into metaphysics rather than something that tangible that people can grab onto and actually use and actually consider and actually use as real information to use to evaluate whether God is the real God versus the false gods, especially explicitly explicitly in this Isaiah text. That's what's going on. It's a contest. You, you are competing for souls. You're attempting, and, and that's funny, in this conversation, this guy's a Calvinist. He doesn't think that God tries, tries to try to convince people to turn to God. He doesn't think God fails, and God fails throughout the Bible, converting people to Christianity, to uh, Yahweh worship. Uh, and this, this, it's a constant failure of God to convince the people, and that is what's going on here. It's a tangible argument that people can look at. God has said what he's going to do before he does it, and the fact that that thing happens proves that God is the one who did it. Therefore, worship Yahweh. This is practical advice to Israel in order to worship Yahweh. Yahweh. It's not Calvinism. That's the opposite of Calvinism, trying to convince people to believe in God. That's the opposite of Calvinism, declaring things in time to people, the things that you're going to do uh, so that they can know that you're the one who does it after it happens. God does not declare all things. Who does God declare all things to? They think that God is shouting into the void. It's like, oh, Chris Fisher is going to Wiggle his fingers on uh, November 23rd, 2019. It's going to be like, uh, if there's a like a five degree angle up and then there's going to be like a seven degree angle down and it's going to be like a little, like God declares everything in his mind. This is what he thinks this verse is stating, not what's going on whatsoever in this verse. Anyway, CJ, take it away. I, I don't know how far we're in. I still got some alcohol. How can a God that is merely sitting back and learning say so declaratively, I will accomplish and I will, um, everything that I have purposed? Daniel. Because you probably haven't uh, taken any time to consider what open theism actually teaches. So open theism is not like God's just sitting back passively like a deist model, just sitting back watching and he's not doing anything and 
Instead, an open theism, God is eternally active, working in individual lives. He's coercing individuals. He takes Nebuchadnezzar. He says, oh, you're not obeying me. You're you're thwarting my will. I want you to be you to be a good king. You're being a bad king. How about this? I'm going to turn you into a beast. And then uh, as soon as you convert away from this uh, pride, uh, I'm going to unconvert you. And then you're going to learn your lesson. Right. So God is uh, explicitly using his power to consistently intervene in human history as an active process. God can do things. Calvinists don't do not think. They do not think God can do things. This, this this should be very evident from any Calvinist debate. The Calvinist, like this guy, he thinks that if God doesn't control all things, then God can accomplish nothing. God can't do anything. They believe God is impotent. They believe God is incompetent. CJ, take it away. 228. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. Right. And so what is the mechanism? Uh, so that's another thing. When we come across these verses, um, what these guys think is the mechanism is eternal, ungenerated knowledge from all eternity. And uh, Abraham knows the future, right? Abraham says, if we go to Egypt, I know that they're going to see you and you're going to be a beautiful woman, his wife, and they're going to kill me. And they're going to take you for, they're going to take you for their own wife. And so here's what we do instead uh, we lie to them. We say that you're my sister and not my wife, and therefore I'm not going to get killed by these Egyptians. So Abraham knows the future. So do we just assume, oh, maybe maybe Abraham's omniscient. Oh, maybe the text is lying. He didn't actually know that. Or maybe we're normal, rational people uh, who read the Bible in a competent fashion and understand that knowledge doesn't have to be this Platonistic concept of access to the truth value of an object and that's uh, unrefutable and unfalsifiable. That's not what knowledge is. Uh, yeah, God can know the future. And how does God know the future? In Isaiah, he says he declares it and then he does it. This is the entire thrust of Isaiah 40 through roughly 48. God declares what he's going to do and then he does it. So in that way, he knows what will happen. But but there's always caveats with God. God always gives caveats. In Jeremiah 18, he says, you know, we are rational. And so if I promise good things to people and uh, then they turn out bad, they decide to be bad, I'm not going to do what I thought I was going to do. And this CJ Calvinist in the, in the, in the cross examination, he says, well, that thought is probably just, uh, you know, it just means something. It's He didn't really have an answer to what that phrase actually meant he wants it to be a metaphor he doesn't explain does not explain what the metaphor is uh in that context at least otherwise he tried to explain what the metaphor means but not in god thought he's going to do something god thought he was going to do something and then did not do it in the context of jeremiah 18 and so this is how god operates in the bible it's common sense god says what he's going to do but if circumstances change changes if if Nineveh repents, he's not going to destroy Nineveh. CJ, tell us all about this. This was your dream and the visions in your mind while in your bed. How could he have made known what is going to take place in later days? Pretty easy. So I'm going to sleep tonight. I'm going to get up tomorrow and go to church. So I'm making known right now what's going to happen in later days. Uh, it's it's not particularly hard so it, it depends what's being made known so if if i i say uh, in 20 years there's going to be a person named sam and that sam is going to have uh, a beard and he's going to say this exact phrase at this exact time in history that might be a little hard for me to accomplish and so uh that that statement what i just said it probably would not be very hard for God to accomplish because God has a lot more access to resources and knowledge and, and uh, understanding of logistics than I have. God has a lot more capability to make that come about. So, so again, in the Bible, we sh we shouldn't. Our our focus is not going to be on you know how did God make these things happen. You know, God has power. God has ability. Uh, what what's really of interest is the times that God says something's going to happen. And then that thing does not happen because one counterexample falsifies their entire narrative. Their narrative is that 
God knows all things in the future. One ex counterexample will undo all of that. Whereas the opposite is not true. God doing one thing, predicting one thing in the future, doesn't mean the entire future is predicted and set. And so their, their standards of proof, their evidence are reversed. They think God doing one thing means God doing all things. They think God predicting one thing means God predicts and knows all things. Their standards of knowledge, their standards of debates are entirely 180 degrees reversed from what they should be. Uh, they're off in their own little la-la land. Um, to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, if he does not know the future. Acts 2.23 This man delivered over the uh, by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. What is foreknowledge in an open theistic worldview? It's actually foreknowledge. So it's funny, and later in this debate, Will Duffy says, open theists are actually the only ones who believe in foreknowledge. And I, th I think I got uh, Bavink pulled up. Let let's see if I got Bavink pulled up. Uh, let's see, go to my library and go to Bavink. But Bavink himself says that foreknowledge is not a thing in Calvinism. He says technically there's no such thing as foreknowledge because God doesn't have any distinctions per time. So, so literally, as Will Duffy says, that only people who, like open theists, who believe that God is in time, he doesn't, Will Duffy doesn't say it in this language, but only people who believe that God acts in time actually believe that God has foreknowledge and can predestine things. Open theists are the only ones who can maintain that. As Bavink states, you don't actually believe that. Bavink, Calvinist systematic theologian. And so uh, also in his mind, he thinks, oh, God did this one thing. God must do all things, <laughs> right? Right? Does that follow? This This is their arguments. This is the way they think. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly impressed with uh, Matt Slick and his little lackeys. They're not intellectual people. They don't make uh, rational arguments. Acts 4, 27 through 28. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. God does not allow things to happen out of his um, predetermined decree. Okay, look at that. Look at that. Oh, fantastic. Oh, man, this is mind-numbingly stupid. And so, again, he thinks that God doing one thing, predestining one thing, that means that his his words, God does not allow anything to happen outside of his decree. I don't know. We could rewind it and look at it again. But that is what he got out of that passage. This is how his mind works. He is not a biblical scholar. He doesn't treat the Bible with any integrity. Uh, he looks for random phrases in the Bible, and then he comes to wild, unfounded conclusions. He is desperate. He is desperate for his theology to be in the Bible. It is just not there. Romans 8.29 for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Right. Only open theists and, and people like uh, William Lane Craig believes that God's in time. Only people like that believe that God actually has foreknowledge of predestination. And the foreknowledge is a familiarity with, a love of, and predestination is setting up parameters. It's, it's a specification. And so uh, does any of this prove... Uh, unbounded, eternal, ungenerated knowledge in God from time eternal. This is what this guy's trying to prove. He's trying to prove that God controls all events. In a, yeah, he's going above and beyond the specifications of the debate. The debate's just about if open theism is biblical. He's uh, arguing instead in an affirmative case that Calvinism is true. Will Duffy actually he uh, gives in to some of this, and some of their back and forth has nothing to do with. Uh, the debate parameters and it starts focusing on Calvinism and determinism rather than their subject. I, 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 this seems to happen with Will Duffy debates. Will Duffy really likes talking about these issues. And so he doesn't shut them down. He, he, uh, he, he engages with this when he really shouldn't do that. He should refocus to the debate topic. So that he would be the firstborn among many brethren's.
goes on to say, for whom he predestined, he also called. For whom he called, he also justified. And for whom he justified, he shall also glorify. Did you see any eternal, ungenerated knowledge claims in there that all future is set? Any, anything like that? I'm not seeing it. I, I maybe my untrained theological ears. I, I'm just not hearing anything about eternal predestination of all events in that passage. So uh, maybe instead of just quoting the verse, you could probably you know expound on the verse and talk about you know the context of the verse and why you think that means your specific thing that you think is obvious by just reading the text. It's it's not obvious to me. I, I'm not getting that out of there. I don't I don't think a random normal person, someone. Someone who has no familiarity with Christianity, if you bring that verse to them, they'll say, ah, oh, yeah, that means all things are predestined or or all things in all eternity are foreknown from forever past or anything like that. Even using the current English translations that you're using, I don't think they would get that idea. I, I just don't. Now, whether you're an Arminian or a Calvinist, uh, they would agree that God has complete foreknowledge in this process. This specifically is talking about uh, redemption and salvation. But the open theists can't say that. I don't even understand how they could uh, trust that there is any salvation if God could just later... Okay, so I, I we're going back to the shots. Uh, so uh, open theists, oh, if open theism was true, I don't know how they could trust anything. Blah 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 blah. That's not it's not an argument. You're not making an argument. You're emoting, emoting. So uh, I don't know what shot we're on, like six or seven or something like that. All right, bottoms up. Oh, decide all right. that he's going to wipe it Ooh. out and come up with a totally new plan. Ooh, God did that once. First Peter, remember one, that. Two. According to the foreknowledge of God by the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, may grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. All right, so maybe I'm not listening, but uh, there's there I, I didn't I didn't hear anything in those verses that mean open theism is false and and your beliefs are true. I I must have missed it. Uh, can you expound? Again, foreknowledge. Got, and then I want to cover. You convinced me. God has eternal, ungenerated foreknowledge of, of all event from time eternal. Uh, you got me there. That verse That verse proved it. Fantastic. A uh, section of scripture that is very important in this debate. Because God actually addressed open theism in Isaiah. In the all right. So, yeah. Yeah. Here's what I thought he was going to do with that. I th thought he was going to go to Isaiah 40. There were there was a strong contingent of uh, Israelites who believed that not only did God not know things that uh, currently happen on earth, but like God couldn't see every, everyone's actions. They believed that God had nescience of present actions that they were accomplishing. So in Isaiah 40 and sporadically throughout the Bible, uh, people's general claim in Israel was that God does not know presently what current individuals are doing on earth. In Ezekiel, they try to hide from God in a shelter underground because their idea of Yahweh was that Yahweh's sight would be blocked by, by the ground. This is, this is a fairly common idea in Semitic religion, also, also in Greek religion. And so in the temple of Zeus, for example, it would have an open air uh, it, it, there would be a big hole in the roof, right? And the idea is that you'd make your oaths there. So you'd you'd go make a contract and it would be in the sight of Zeus. There wouldn't be some sort of roof blocking that site. And so that would be enforced by Zeus because Zeus would see it in the open air and in the temples of Jupiter in Rome. This, this feature was also there. So it was a fairly, fairly common belief in Israel that God's sight could be maybe blocked by clouds in Job. In Job, we see this, uh, that that might be a common belief. And in Ezekiel, we see this. And so current Israelites at the time that Isaiah was written believed that God does not know present things. And so, and so how does Isaiah respond? Isaiah responds like an open theist would respond. Uh, not only does God know what you're doing, 
but you will be judged for the things that you're doing. There are repercussions that God is cataloging for future execution against you. This is an open theist argument. If this guy, Calvinist, he's transported back in time and he's given Isaiah's duties and he finds out that most of Israel believes that God doesn't know currently what people are doing, that God's not paying attention to the world, uh, what would his argument be? He'd be like, hey, stop over here. We're going to have a debate. Uh, did you see this verse over here where God did something? That means God does everything. So so everything's faded and, and uh, also God has all knowledge of all events in the future. This would be how he argues because because we know this because this is how he argues against open theists who don't believe that god has knowledge of future events so he's going to argue the same way to people who believe that god doesn't have knowledge of current events right and so this is not how isaiah argues isaiah doesn't say oh god knows all future events and this is because of his nature of god and this is uh, an attribute of the supreme deity the one who's eternal and outside of time and this is just common sense guys follow follow along with it that's platonism that is absolute platonism that is not semitic religion that is that is not yahweh of the bible in the bible yahweh is a person he has volition he can know what he wants to he watches the world he gains information uh, from sight he gains information from testing he knows the future because he's going to do the future this is the god of the bible and he fundamentally cj fundamentally despises despises hates hates the god that is presented in the bible he has a lot of hatred for yahweh this is why this is why i encourage these people you know what your moralistic fallacies your arguments um you know if you're not arguing against me you're arguing against the bible so if you don't like the bible that much you could convert to platonism uh that's no big deal uh just do it because you you despise the bible you don't like what the bible says in the old testament and he was mocking the foreign gods, the false gods. And he gave a very good illustration of what separates the false gods from himself. Isaiah 41, 21 through 24. Present your case, says the Lord. Bring forth your strong reasons, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show the former things what they were, that we may consider them and know the latter end of them. What's this, an appeal for people to rationally think about the evidence presented? That doesn't sound like Calvinism. What's this, uh, a, a, a appeal to uh, gods, foreign gods, to do things that Yahweh can do? That doesn't, that doesn't sound like Calvinism. This, this entire contending, that, that doesn't sound like Calvinism either. Nothing in this verse... It sounds like Calvinism. Nothing in this verse sounds like God knows all things from eternity that will ever happen in the future. It's not present in this verse. This is a challenge to perform. It's a performance challenge. Uh, it's not like they're taking a trivia quiz. They're like, okay, well, we're going to play uh, uh, not Wheel of Fortune, but like Jeopardy or something like that. And uh, whoever has the most knowledge, we're, we're counting up knowledge. And, and whoever has the most knowledge, that's the real God. No, it's not what's going on here. It's whoever, whoever has the most power, whoever can do what they say they're going to do, that is the real God. And so what kind of evidence are you going to use for that impromptu trial? You're going to use past events that have already happened, that have already been predicted and predicted prior to those events happening. That's what's actually going to happen. Or declare to us things to come. Show us things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods yes do e do good or do evil that we may that we may be dismayed and see it together what's going on in calvinism so god controls all things and and god makes everything happen so god sets up this weird trial where he faces off against false gods that he also invented uh, this is this is weird theology this is just this it's, it's not intuitive when you're reading the text. You don't get this out. You don't get Calvinism out of this text. This, this actual legitimate trial to win converts, you do not get Calvinism. You don't, you don't get that from the text. Indeed, 
you are nothing and your work is nothing. He who chooses you is an abomination. So, basically, God is saying to the false idols, go ahead and show me that you are gods, that you are true. By what? By whether they know what is to come, whether they know the latter things. Well, if this is a test for what a true God is, for what the true... Oh. Yeah, God can do things. In this debate, uh, Mr. CJ, he, uh, he hems and haws over the question, can God make one more raindrop in a rainstorm? CJ, he doesn't want to answer this question because in the Calvinist mindset, the answer is no. God is subject to fate. God can't do anything other than what's eternally foreknown that God will do whatever for eternally decreed. Will Duffy didn't press the issue, but in Calvinism, God's decree is part of an eternal, simple act. And so God has no choice but to decree what is currently decreed. There is no volition in God at any time. God cannot, cannot do anything other than what is eternally fated. God is a facet of fate. God cannot perform. God fails this test in Calvinism. God cannot do things. God is forever stuck in whatever roles he currently has. It's just, it's just like physics. It's just an impersonal laws of physics that play out as predetermined based on inputs. That's what God is in Calvinism. So in Calvinism, this guy's a Calvinist. Uh, Calvinists fail this test. God cannot do things. God can't do things in Calvinism. One and holy living God is, is that he knows the future, that he knows what is to come. Is that what you got from that verse? Did that verse say God knows all future events that will ever happen? God declares the future. And how does God make sure that that declared future comes about? God does it. God does what he declares he's going to do. That's the that's the thrust of it's It's not a knowledge test. You're not getting the knowledge test from that passage. And that he can bring it into fruition, that he is good. And unfortunately, uh, for those people who would reject that <laughs> and choose the foreign gods, he calls oh, them an yeah. abomination. Yeah, so well, I'm not foreign gods, like, uh, yeah. how about how about the people God wanted to kill in Job? The Calvinists, the people who think that everything happened for a reason and God was uh, performing a system of retributive justice on earth and was punishing Job for sin. God wanted to kill those people. God wanted to kill the Calvinists. And so uh, I, I hear your appeals to your like poisoning the well. It's like, oh, these open theists, they must believe in the bells of the world. No, no, we think God is capable. We think God is competent and God can perform. And we don't think God's going to be thwarted by Baal. I I, I, I don't think so. Um, and so I take great offense uh, to your accusations that we think Marduk and Baal are going to beat Yahweh in some sort of divine contest. Uh, I'm, I'm not even saying that Marduk and Baal aren't real deities in some sense. They might be uh, demons or, or various gods that were created at, at some point of time. They might actually exist. I just I just don't think that they're going to beat Yahweh in a power contest. I don't think they're going to supplant them. So um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what you're getting at here. I don't think you understand the context. And I think you're poisoning the well. Uh, I think that's wildly off. And I think, I also think, that you're positing a radically new deity that never existed in the history of Israel up until the time of Philo. Philo might be our first uh, true advocate of Platonistic uh, Judaism. That, that might be our first example of a Platonist Jew. Coming here tonight to, to angrily fight or to, you know, get into a heated argument but i'm coming to lovingly debate because i believe that this is true and i believe from the scripture and based upon my belief in the attributes of god from what i see in scripture i can say with certainty that what i believe none of his proof texts proved what he is trying to prove and and I, I, I posit a question later in this debate for him to re-examine one of his proof texts to show that it say, states what he's claiming that these proof texts states. He says, oh, yeah, they, they do. He, he doesn't do it. 
He declined to elaborate on a single one of his proof texts to prove that it means what he claims. Is is true. But as I demonstrated earlier, an open theist cannot know truth. Because Alright, so uh I got another shot here. It's going down the hatch, CJ. You had to, you had to do it to me. You had to go back into the moralistic fallacy. Uh, this is irrelevant to the debate. The debate's about the Bible and what the Bible says. If the Bible affirms open theism or not, and now you're like, oh, open theists, they don't know what truth is. It's like, what what are we talking? This this you know what what is this? Is is this a biblical scholarship? Are we talking about? Oh, we're talking about your feelings. Ah, uh, fantastic, CJ. Oh, uh, I love talking about your feelings. What I need to do is open up one of those talk shows like uh, that Phil, Dr. Phil guy, and, and we could talk about feelings all day long, and I could listen to your emotions, and I could empathize, and I could give you practical advice for... Uh, no, I, I'm, I'm making all this up. I don't care about your feelings. I'm taking the shot. All right, bottoms up. Ooh, Everything is based on subjective interpretations because God could totally be deceiving everyone right now. He could have changed his mind. He could have learned something. That's funny. In Calvinism, a God is the father of all lies. God has not only eternally decreed, ordained, orchestrated all lies, he, he has eternally thought up all lies in his head. So Matt Slick's daughter is a perfect example. And so she lives her life as a Calvinist, growing up in a Calvinist uh, uh, atmosphere, memorizing all these verses. She is a died and true Calvinist. She converts away from Calvinism. So, so apparently in Calvinism, one of the aspects this John Calvin had to deal with was these people who fall away. Oh, this was, you know, retrobate people that uh, they, they, they seemed like they were true Christians, but they were really eternally predestined not to be Christians. This is the reality of Calvinism, that there's no assurity of anything because you could be the eternally predestined reprobate. You're not making an argument that's uh, unique uh, to open theism. It's your own position. Not only, not only can people not be confident in anything and have no assurances of anything in the Calvinistic worldview, but God, God is the reason for that. God purposely lies to everyone, everyone who's lied to, everyone who believes false things, believes so by the eternal will, decree, and uh, machination of God. God is the father of lies. You know, the Bible says that Satan's the father of lies. In Calvinism, God is the father of lies. This is your theology, and you think you're making a point. Thing new. He could have sang a new song that rewrit everything that he had already said. And so this is why that I believe the against open theism. God is the father of lies in Calvinism. God orchestrates, or ordains, carries out, eternally decrees, makes sure that every single lie ever made is enacted in Calvinism. So you're, you're not making any sort of point. You have more assurities of your salvation, of the character of God in open theism because you believe who God is based on God's demonstrated character, based on external evidence in Calvinism, in determinism, you have no such assurance. And so, yeah, this is an emotional fallacy. I think I already, I think I already took a shot for this emotional plea. And so uh, I'm not going to take a shot right now. And we'll see if he makes another one. If he makes another one, um, then I'll take another shot. Thank you. All right. So that's CJ Bournes. He debated Will Duffy on is open theism biblical. Notice, notice. He didn't really focus on his text. He threw out a bunch of proof texts. He took them out of context. He I, he doesn't seem to have any basic familiarity with how open theists treat those texts. And so he didn't he didn't seem Will Duffy at the end of this debate. He takes every single proof text that was thrown out and he throws out a little rebuttal for it, which actually it actually leaves CJ with absolutely zero Bible verses throughout this entire debate to show that open theism is unbiblical. Will Duffy, I don't know why he waits till the end. It seems 
uh, seems like kind of a chump move to do is to wait to the end to discuss the biblical verses. And then he used his cross-examination for more philosophical concerns. And I, I would I would fault Will Duffy on this point because the debate's supposed to be on is open theism biblical and you're bringing the level of the debate to philosophical concerns or concerns that make us feel good and how does God do this and how does God do that um, all those are irrelevant to whether the Bible teaches open theism if if we're debating if the Bible teaches open theism our source text is the Bible and our speculations are speculations they they really shouldn't play into it's like well if that's true how does God do this well yeah why don't you go ask God about that uh, deal with the text what does the text say let's focus on the text and all your uh, your side concerns that um, you know if if you don't want to believe the Bible that's your own prerogative but your side concerns they're irrelevant to this debate so CJ I'm gonna rate you uh, Maybe a two. Uh, two stars out of five for a good effort. You threw out some Bible verses. You don't seem to have very uh, good familiarity with open theism in general, which was to your downfall. You seem to be a very emotional person who cares about your feelings and an argument from consequences and, and the moralistic fallacy. I I sure, I don't know how many I drank. Maybe I like 10. I'm guessing 10 of these shots. I don't know if a normal normal person would be wasted by 10 shots like this but us fishers are fairly immune to alcohol so i'm gonna set that down here until after the show i'll probably have to finish that little shot but thank you for watching thank you for listening and cj if you're watching uh make yourself a better man all right that's just my personal advice to you um just study what you're trying to Study uh, all the issues. Try to see things from other perspectives other than your own. And, you know, uh, anyways, comments, questions, throw that down in the YouTube comments or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook group. Thank you for watching.